Kia ora. My name is Marianne Cotter and this is the Horse-Human Connection, how we learn from horses. My guests throughout the series and I all know the outside of the horse reflects the inside of the human. From dreaming about horses as a young girl to now having two beautiful steeds, Thomas and Frosty, I know that my horses have taught me way more than I have ever taught them. So I started this podcast to speak with equine industry people and connect with others around the world and share the horse-human connection, how we learn from horses. Thank you for coming in, Daffod. Um, uh, our next guest is um, someone that I really admire and um, I can call a friend and he's also my dressage instructor. So I'm very blessed and honoured to have you along for uh, this podcast. So thank you for coming. No worries. So Daffod Fly. Wow, where do you start? Horseman. Uh, dressage instructor, clinician, horse breeder, riding school owner, operator, horse trek owner, it goes on and on and on. You're a dressage instructor, but you're more than that. Yeah, I think so. I think many years ago I'd like to, my ego probably would have liked to have been a dressage instructor, but I suppose age has changed that. A dressage instructor or dressage rider? Either. But you are a dressage instructor, do you? Uh, you don't feel like you are? That might be that might be the where where people get sucked in maybe, but I feel like I'm probably more than that. Tell me about to that. most people. Um, I don't know. You could probably list therapist. Yeah. How does that work? Um, I think a lot of people their horse riding is probably their downtime, but also their kind of download time. I suppose. Yep. So. I would suggest that most people who come for a 45-minute riding lesson probably don't ride for that long. I think there's a lot of chat. There's a lot of kind of, I suppose, sounding off against each other about, you know, what's happening and maybe it's not even that blunt than what people are talking about. But, you know, that what's happening with their horse and maybe that's kind of probably a way of them talking about what's happening in their lives absolutely mm. I know that you've been a great um, sounding board for me I think I talked about it last time but when I ended my job the first lesson I had with you you said to me okay so you've given up your job and I went yeah and you went right so this whole lesson's going to be in canter because you need to be brave <laughs> <laughs> so let's start here and that has stuck in my mind so much just with life lessons is be brave. And I, you, you really challenged me with that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I suppose, you know, most people probably would think that I teach people to ride because I want to teach people to ride. But there's always a slight fascination, I think, of human behavior that comes into it that probably fascinates me just as much as equine behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's interesting to see how people react and how you, how you can persuade them, manage them, you know, cajole them, mock them, whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever you can do, you know, like you've got to, you've got to work out who you're working with. You're really good at that. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's been people that have probably given me feedback on my coaching in the past that haven't been paying for a lesson or been watching a lesson. And they're like, I cannot believe you can get away with talking to people like that. And I'm like, well, you know, some, some people, you know, take 
different ways of motivating them and like if people and we build relationships you know I've got relationships with people for 15 years that I've been coaching multiple times a week like they know me I know them pretty well and I know that there's certain things that I can get away with and you know you, the husband turns up for a lesson and goes holy crap <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that at home <laughs> <laughs> if I could if I said that I'd be the dog box yeah, yeah it's um it's amazing so our horses are like a a vehicle for change within ourselves and recognizing things and habits and behaviors within ourselves i think so yeah and i think really that people people who don't know that yeah will work it out maybe somehow or they won't you know like it's you know why why do people have horses why what is their goal of owning a horse and i think probably i'm a bit of an antagonistic type of person and i probably challenge the mm. reasons um and then make people consider you know like if you've if you bought a horse because you you know you need someone to love then you probably are, you're probably here for me at some stage <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think a lot i do wonder a lot of people get horses because they want to practice being a nana before they're a nana so they have that kind of let's see what I kind of how I what I did with my children that I could have done better kind of thing wow that's really interesting yeah and I suppose there's a demographic there that probably proves that absolutely I um I like how as you being my instructor and coach and probably counselor at times can pick up on um behaviors that I have outside of writing but show up in writing is what we're talking about I remember once you said to me you expect the worst you always um you ruminate on the worst possible scenario because my horse was (laughs) in the arena and my horse was showing at the same thing every time and you're going you're expecting him to do that you're not you're not pushing through that so I want you to sing the whole way around the arena which and get your mind off this uh, anxiety and fear of this one corner and that really stuck with me um, is you know you really challenged me to not think the worst all the time and it really was a powerful kinesthetic way of learning that because that's exactly what I do in life mm, it's interesting to hear back because I suppose for me it's just what I do yeah and until someone kind of reminds you or challenges you it's kind of hard to see that it's anything different or anything new because that's just how I've always always been, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I but I suppose if the physicality of riding a horse makes it more real. You're not just hearing it. You're not just visual. You're not just getting feedback as an auditory way. Like I, you know, the way humans and adults learn, or children, everyone. It's we often need to do it to learn it, and I think that really cements it when you're riding a horse. Yeah, and I think probably horses also put another tear on that because I think I don't know there's probably studies that will tell me this is truth but if you're physically doing something at the same time as your brain is trying to understand something whichever way you learn through your brain so you're hearing something putting it in your brain understanding it spitting it back out of your brain to make your body do something while you're trying not to falling off a moving object and the whole emotional attachment to this animal that you're sitting on must be quite a lot of 
neurons firing in all sorts of different <laughs> yeah, directions yeah. <laughs> so you've got to kind of put together so yeah and I think people do get quite frustrated because they think it's really black and white which fundamentally it is you know you keep one leg up either side of the horse don't fall off you know like tell it to go when you want it to go tell it to slow when you want it to slow and turn but there's all these other layers of like you know what if I'm falling off or what if my body can't do that or what if my brain can't do that or yeah absolutely yeah and I've got to input information into people that they're going to corrupt through their thought process yeah. before they bring it to their body to do it and it's yeah sometimes you think jeepers I think I've been telling you this for 10 years <laughs> yet yet somewhere you say it some in a different way right. or yep. a different you know like you say something in a funny way or you yell at something louder or you you know something and some people go oh that's a whole new thing. I've never yeah. heard that before. Now I get it. And now I get it. Yeah. yeah. Or there was that was the moment they needed it. You know, yeah. before then it was background noise. And then suddenly they're like, hang on, this is actually, I need this information. At this point, it's important. Yeah. So you have a really good insight into human nature, human behaviors, human thoughts, human challenges um, through through the horses. Do you have any sort of philosophy that you follow or anything that kind of keeps you going or keeps you inspired I think I'm the t- I'm the type of person that would just keep giving until I couldn't give anymore and then throw throw my throw throw something on the ground and stop off and say I'd never do it again so I mean like that's just something I'm aware of um, which is probably why every nine or ten years I probably make a minor shift to my career um, but I think that's what keeps me interested and fresh. Um, I think the fact that most people don't last more than two lessons with me unless they're going to last yeah. is, you know, like probably years ago it was it was more about like collecting people that wanted that like wanted lessons off me, and it was like, well, then you kind of have to slightly prostitute yourself out in a you know, an aspect because you have to give people what they want. And I don't know, I wouldn't like to say exactly the pinpoint of the time when I was like, I'm done with that. You know, like yeah. people want me for what I give them. If I swear at them or yell at them or, you know, laugh at them or whatever, they are paying me good money to do this. Like, yeah. so there's, there's a validation at some point um, that says, well, most people won't keep coming back regularly if they're not getting what they want so obviously what I was giving people was the right thing for me um, because I have to stay sane too there's no point in me taking everyone's issues in their life and you know coaching them through stuff and then end up at the end of the day being kind of a sad sack sitting by the fire going cheapers there's a lot there's a lot of kind of down emotional download here really yeah, so. we, yeah exactly so how do you like dealing with, you know, I know you you have a, a lot of clients and a lot of people that have been coming back for years and years and years. How do you how do you stay fresh? Um, I think in probably more recent years, I've realised that that you know what we were discussing before that people are coming back for something. Yeah. You know, and if if I it's not that I'm tell, having to tell them the same thing over and over again, and maybe I am, and that's probably lost in the trying not to fall off, trying to wrangle an animal that they're not really sure what they're doing with and all these kind of things. So there is a lot of repetition. And then you think, well, am I failing as a coach? You know, like, 
but I suppose that's it is going back to that base thing of like if people keep coming back, whatever you're providing is what they yeah. need or what they want. I would assume I'm not so much of a dictator that people are too scared to no. not come back again. So you no. know, like you always have the higher. In my experience, um, working with you, you always have the higher concept or the higher sort of reason for being there you're always there to to nurture the relationship with the horse and to learn from the horse and to grow as a human yeah i think so and i think yeah i think that's kind of probably my life philosophy you know don't don't carry on existing i probably existed for quite a few years trying to do the right thing that you know was expected of people and now i'm just like well you know what can we learn from this like even if it goes to crap let's see what we can learn like there's got to be something we can learn from this you know i've worked for people for many years riding their racehorses and people said why do you keep you know why do you do that they don't pay enough and whatever else and i was like well i'm kind of treading water trying to work out what i want to do with my life so it kind of works out i'm not going to die i'm going to be able to feed myself but also i've learned a crap load of what i shouldn't do with horses yeah and so that's almost as powerful as knowing what you should do yeah absolutely and I think we, you and I might have had this discussion at some stage when you're having a career crisis. And I said, work out what you don't want. Yeah. Even if you don't know what you want, once you know what you don't want, suddenly the clarity is better. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I always say to people, what's the worst you're going to lose? What's the worst you're going to lose? You know? We, yeah. I closed down a pretty um, pretty commercial riding school oh, about six or seven years ago, eight years ago, I suppose now. And people are like, oh, I can't believe you're walking away from that. And I was like, you know what? I've worked out I don't want to do this. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. It doesn't do me for how I want it to do. So let's do something else. So, yeah. Good on you. Brave. Yeah, you've yeah. got to be brave. You know, it's the life to live, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I remember when I first started coming to listen to you with you, I was quite anxious. I can imagine that um, you would deal with, and I think even more so, prevalently these days that people are more anxious and nervous how do you how do you think horses or what we can learn from them can sort of helps with that because you were really good with my anxiety <laughs> you might not remember but uh, I think everyone has anxiety and yeah. I think that probably it's become kind of a cool word to say but yeah. and it probably hasn't been recognized before and people are pro- probably happier to talk about it yeah but I think um, when it comes down to it, like a horse will do what a horse does because of what you've asked it to do and what you've shown the horse to be the answer. And suddenly anxiety gets much lower, I think. I think anxiety, I'm not a psychologist or anything, but I think anxiety is linked with control. And people mm-hmm. always get really worried, really upset when I talk about, you know, every, it's everything's, everything in the world is, goes wrong or right because of control. Yeah. You know, like, and or balance of control. Yeah. Um, so anxiety just means you're out of control. You're yeah. less in control than you want to be. So why are we less in control? You know, like, I probably spent half of today going, oh, jeepers, I'm anxiety, anxiety because I've got to go and talk in front of a microphone. And they're like, well, what am I out of control in? Like, what haven't I got control of? And when you work out what you haven't got control of, then suddenly you get confidence. Yeah which then minimizes anxiety. So I think teaching people how to train horses gives them control, a black and white framework, a blueprint to work towards, and suddenly 
you're working on autopilot. You stop, and also you stop thinking about all the other stuff. Yeah, good point. You got to be in the now. Exactly. <laughs> like I, I always like to say, if I when I ride in the arena, whatever's in my head gets dropped out, other than the time I'm doing with my horse. Otherwise, I'm not enjoying that. I'm not in the present. I'm thinking about what I'm having for tea, or when the next GST is due, or yeah. who, who I'm grumpy about from yesterday. <laughs> That wouldn't be very often. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, you, you you did give me that little talk about control when I first um, started going out to dressage days and saying how anxious it made me. And you were like, well, you know, just control your controllables. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, I, and that's probably a lesson I learned um, from competing. I had a horse, oh, I don't know, I was probably way younger than I am now. And... I was like, this is actually a pretty fancy eventing. I was like, got it off the dog tucker truck um, <laughs> because it wasn't wasn't getting in foal and they didn't want it. And I was like, oh, I'll buy it. I'll do something with it. And I thought this actually is going to be one of the better jumping horse I've, horses I've ever owned. Wow. Yeah. And then I suddenly got, oh my god, I've got to go take this competing, and, and I got all wound up. And I was like, I'm not going to compete. I'm not going to compete. Oh. So then I was like, well, hang on, let's take control of this. Like, what is out of control? And the first thing that came up was, I'm out of control because I can't use my legs properly because my boots don't let me do that. And I was wow. like, well, let's just wear the normal boots that you wear every day. So, so I was like, I'll just wear machete boots. I'll clean them up. I'll polish them up, which is totally in conflict to my vanity because there's a little part of me that looks like to look reasonably pretty when I'm out in public. <laughs> you always do. So then I've got my dirty old boots on that I just kind of scrubbed up. Um, and I think I probably made an excuse at that stage that there was I'd injured my leg or something, so I had to wear these boots. You know, like it's that's what you do when you're younger and you're trying to cover up for doing something that's a bit radical. And then I was like, well, what else don't I like? And the, I don't like my show jacket, so I'm not going to wear my show jacket. And I went through the whole list of all the things that made me uncomfortable, and I got rid of them. And then I kind of was like, oh, and what else gives me anxiety? And I went back from that, and I suddenly realised that. I didn't know how long I needed to warm up my horse. I'd ridden this horse for four months and I still couldn't work out with this horse whether I needed 10 minutes, four hours, you know, like nobody, there's nobody tells you how long you need to warm up a horse. There's not a, you know, like a golden rule of this thing. And, you you know, so then I, as a young adult, I talked to lots of people and, you know, someone would tell me, oh, you need 45 minutes to an hour and you've got to work this horse. And And other people were like, don't be so silly. You want it fresh for the arena. So then I've got this massive out of control conflict in my head and I was like you know what I'm gonna do I'm just gonna enter and I'm gonna allow myself the luxury that if my time turns up and my horse is not ready I'm not gonna take it in the arena which is pretty radical you know like you paid your 25 bucks to turn (laughs) up you had to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and plant this horse in the dark like (laughs) this huge amount of you know exterior pressure and I was like I'm gonna do this so I ride the horse and she wasn't ready for her test and I think there was four other horses going to the end of the class. And just at the end of the class, I was like, this horse is ready. I said to them, I said, can I ride at the end of the class? And they said, yeah. And I said, will you mark me? And they're like, yeah, yeah. But you're non-comp because you're too late for your class. I said, that's fine. And my tie annoyed me. So I whipped my tie off because I'm non-comp. I don't care anymore. And I rode the horse and I think I had like a ridiculously good score. Like I think I beat everyone in the class by 10%. And I was like, you know what? Like something about letting go, but taking control is kind of powerful. You took the pressure off. Yeah, so so from then on, I don't like those like those boots might be pretty, but they piss me off. And you know, like I've, my jacket, my newest show jacket is just a stretchy little thing I throw on. Like I don't even know it's there. You know, like 
all these little things little that you things think that, that like, I can ride at home. So what's the difference? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think in my, like, I've got a silly little thing, probably one day it'll become a book on my phone, and I always write things down, and I think this is probably 10 years old, and it says micro-goaling, and I was like, what is, what is it that makes people worried, and I was, whatever it was I was talking to after my own kind of slight epiphany about how my life would be better if I could ride without a tie at the wrong time at a competition, and we worked, this lady was like, no, no, I'm really, really worried about competing, so we worked back. And her initial worry actually was that her alarm wasn't going to go off, so she woke up at the right time. And I was like, well, let's... And then we wrote a list. I was like, let's write a list. And there was probably a thousand things this lady had to do to turn up in a dressage at the right time. Wow. And I was like, no wonder you're overwhelmed. Like, if 999 of those things is causing you stress... Yeah. Like, how can you go down and even get in the arena? So... Yeah, so I said to her, let's do some micro-goaling. I said, let's work it out. So the alarm. So let's work out how you can turn up in the alarm. Like, have two alarms, have three alarms. How many alarms do you need? Do you need someone to ring you up? Yeah. And then suddenly she was like, oh, my God, I slept so well last night. It wasn't anxious about waking up at 4 o'clock because I knew that I had so many things in place. And then there was, you know, the next thing was probably you know, how dirty the horse was going to be in the morning. So we worked on that. And then, you know, if the horse would go on the float, you know, this is probably most people's big thing, that the horse never seems to go on the float when they're under stress. And that's probably because most people don't deal with floating in an aspect that's not connected to turning up somewhere. So we worked through that. And I think the first time she didn't ride a test. Yeah. She, she went just there, got there and she sat with her horse. And I think she had a cup of tea and until the horse was relaxed and she went home and she's oh my goodness the best day of competing I've Fantastic. ever had. Fantastic. Yeah and so like yeah and I think I probably had this discussion with hundreds of people. Yeah. Over the years you know like that's the thing you you know go back work out the smallest yeah. smallest start point. Yeah. Yeah. So what a great model for managing anxiety. You anxiety can, find you out where the, where the root cause is yeah. yeah and and work out you know managing strategy you know yeah. like don't wait till you're you know feeling like you're going to vomit and pass out because that means you've gone way too far you know that you're outside your threshold yeah exactly and your brain's not going to work properly anyway you're not going to think straight you're not calm your animals your horse isn't going to be calm no Um, no and i you know i always say to people train within your threshold or your horse's threshold whichever's the lowest mm. because then you're always going to be aware of that tip over point where you're going to go into out of control out you know anxiety issue or whatever else so yeah you're very, you're very good at keeping keeping people grounded. I think I, I think uh, as riders and competitors, and I'm fairly low level, com, you know, competing competing. But I, I did a level two test, and I think Thomas and I came third, and I had my next lesson with you all bolshy like, right, we're, I'm shooting for the stars, and I'm going for this, and you went, no, you're not, <laughs> no, you need to go out and complete compete the level before really well. Like, eh, you're right. So um, there is, you are really good at keeping people down to earth and focused on what they can achieve, and like you say, um, where they're at and managing the, the anxiety within their realm of control. Yeah, and I think it's everyone has to have a reality. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, horses, because they're a dream for most people, yeah. then it's very hard for people to keep in a reality. You know, like, you see people all the time... I probably talk to many of them and they want to buy a horse and they buy the horse they want to ride. And I'm like, mm. don't buy the horse you want to ride. Like, I did that all. You know, my ego wanted me to buy the horse yeah, I wanted yeah. to ride. I couldn't ride the blimmin' thing. 
And so I spent years not competing or enjoying what I could have. Whereas if I bought the horse that I could have ridden at that stage, I would have enjoyed it and yeah. progressed. I think yeah. there's a real culture of trying to strive for something that's beyond where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so and which doesn't which which puts the the goal too high. Way too high. So we're not we're not achieving small things. And when we fail, we just give up. We're better to have small ones. Yeah, and I think we probably discussed that. I think the other day we were talking about, you know, quantifying success. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're like, oh, I went, you know, I went to dressage. I was really, really, really happy, but my score and my, I didn't get a ribbon. And I was like, but there's no but. You know, like, the success was the fact that, you know, like all these things that are behind the scenes that no one else knows about, that no judge is going to give you 80% because you, you know, got out of bed at the right time or, you, yeah. you know, you got your horse there on the float that was causing you anxiety. You know, like, that's just not... A fact, yet people still come home and go, well, did you get a ribbon? Yeah. And like that's how the success of the day is quantified, where you'd like to think, well, that's bonus, really. You know, like, yeah. you know, if you look at the statistics of you winning a competition against 30 other people, it's pretty low considering all these things that could go wrong. And it's surely there's going to be people that are better you, than you out there. But I think it's, yeah, it's working out. What is your success for the day? Yeah, absolutely. And, and your success might just be that you didn't get lost getting there, or your or horse these, is happy. Yeah, <laughs> your horse is calm and relaxed and happy. Yeah, you came home happy because <laughs> you didn't write a test. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose. What else did I want to say? I've got so much I want to say to you. Can you think of any other pearls of wisdom you'd like to share with us, Stafford? Pearls of wisdom. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not that wise, really. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think we probably haven't um, kind of discussed, I think we have discussed about kind of my, kind of probably my science-based background yeah. um, in horse training. And I find that's pretty confronting for people. Right. You know, like Why? understanding that their horse's brain is so radically different than our brains you know we all make an assumption on an animal yeah that they think like we think um and of course we do that with people you know like we kind of judge other people's funk by our our interpretation of their funk you know like and so then um which is crazy, you know, like, I, you know, when you're younger, you judge all the people in France, when we went to France, and like, they've got holes in the ground, the dirty peasants, you know, like, like, that's from your funk, right? Like, that's your bias on the funk. And then you don't understand why they're doing that, or why in Asia, they all, you know, have, yeah. don't have toilet paper, you know, that's disgusting. But that's from my, you know, middle class, kind of English background, brought up that toilet paper is sanitary, you know, like, yeah. so when you come back to, um, thinking about then about horses whose brains are totally different than ours yeah. you know they're set up as a um as a pred- uh, you know animal that's being preyed on you know their life is about getting away staying alive they don't have part parts of their brains to work out how to manipulate the world or, <laughs> or you. How, how to think about the world in, an, in any other way yeah yet, yet we as humans make an assumption that this is how they're thinking which is very confronting for people because when, you know, people are like, oh, but my horse is being naughty. I'm like, your horse can't be naughty. Your horse is only doing what it has been trained to do by removing pressure. That's how they stay alive. They get rid of stuff that's 
hurting them or or causing them pain or um, discomfort. So if you've caused them some discomfort and they've removed it in a certain way, they're going to trial that again. And if it keeps happening, then they're going to get rid of you that way yeah. or whatever else. So, and people are like, but, 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 but I've got a bad horse. And I'm like, no, you don't have a bad horse. You just have a badly trained horse. Yes. And then people go, well, then you have no emotion because, you know, you're talking about it as a robot. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not really. I'm talking about the horse as the horse is, you know, like that is yeah. their brain. Like they don't have this massive set of emotions and nonsense that we have in our head. Sure. Um, and they can't deal with the ambiguity, you know, like if, if you're not 100% this is the answer, then that's not the answer. So they sit in this anxiety loop inside yeah. their head. They can't resolve their anxiety because they have a very minor prefrontal cortex and that's what we use in our brain to kind of work shit out. Um, so then they go, well, I don't know. And they start waving their arms and their legs around and then people get very <laughs> upset and call them, call them bad, you know? like. And you're on the ground because they're trying to... They're, yeah, trying to, they're basically saying, you don't make sense, lady, man, whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, really, most people, that's really confronting. Wow. But learning those fundamentals and how their brain works is so powerful to understand um, how you have to be really clear about what the question you're asking them is, I presume. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, harping back to my book inside my iPhone, but um, I think one of the lines says, if I could train my horse as well as I, if I could train myself as well as I could train my horse, I'd be a better person. <laughs> You know, and it's probably a fact, you know, like yeah, if we yeah, all, yeah. if we could all be more black and white, we could all communicate in a less ambiguous way. Yeah. If we could take a little bit of our, like our assumption about what's the, what's going to be the fallout, then we probably all end up better trained humans, really. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest thing I've ever learned from horses. Whether I'm probably as blunt as I probably think I am, probably not. Probably a lot of people would say I'm pretty blunt. Yes, you are. <laughs> but not with those I and love. And we quite like Not it. those that I love the most. <laughs> we accept you. We accept the challenge of your bluntness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, like, surely the world would be better if we were just like, we're doing, I'm doing this because of this. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, you and your partner have a business called... Equa Guys. Equa Guys. Yeah. Tell well, us about Equa Guys. Equa Guys was born out of the fire of lockdown <laughs> 2020 <laughs> um, when we could no longer carry on um, running a horse trekking business in Hamner, as it, which is a tourist town not far away. And we we're like, well, what are we going to do? We've got to do something. And so we're like, let's just use any skills that we have, Massive to, skills do that with, we have. to do with horses that we can um, carry on. And, um, yeah, so we ended up kind of moving back home and I teach a reasonable amount of my life. Um, and we also do a lot of work with, um, remedial horses and things like that. Yes. A little bit less than we were. We're getting a bit old and we don't like to be injured too many times, <laughs> but, um, you know. And you run some clinics. Yeah, yeah, clinics. and clinics, especially kind of like, you know, how horses think clinics Fantastic. are really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and there's probably there's probably 10 lifetimes of clinics and things that I'd love to be able to facilitate that are inside my head that I think I run out of life and energy by the time I get them out. But yeah, 
be interested to see it. Oh, I always say, you know, it's interesting to see how things evolve. You know, there's, I don't know where I'm, what, where I'm going to be, what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And we know that whatever you do, you're going to be an amazing success. You're much loved and uh, respected um, horse human expert. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing what you're going to do next, Steph. Because you have got so much knowledge in your head, we could sit here for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's an interest, interesting thing is getting it out. What's in your head? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. All the people in my head seem to kind of enjoy talking about it. <laughs> so, so that, I'll I'll leave them to carry on. Brilliant. Well, I think I think that's about us. Is there anything else you want to say? No, I feel like we've got to plug it out. I think we have. Yeah. Thank you, Daffod Fly. I'm here all night. <laughs> this has been a Door Brothers Studios production with executive producer CJ Door and co-producer Mary Ann Cotter. Giggles. <laughs> You're delirious now. <laughs> Ah. <sighs>